Let's do this. What is virtualization? You're going to learn today. Innovate like a startup. Deliver like an enterprise. I hope you're coffeeed up and ready because it's going to be a great day. I know you're going to dig this. Oh, yeah. You're listening to the Virtually Speaking Podcast with Pedro Aero and John Nicholson. Hey, welcome to the Virtually Speaking Podcast. My name is Pete Fletcher, and joining me as usual is my good friend, Mr. John Nicholson. John, how you doing, buddy? Good. I'm uh, trying to update my lab. You know, normally I like to wait till you won for some of the labs. Sure. Um, I, I, I just don't like round numbers. I'm scared of the number zero. It's uh, <laughs> it's like a weird phobia I have. But when I see a U1, I mash upgrade all, yell YOLO in the data center, we move forward. Yeah, so yeah. It's, uh, it's time to upgrade. It's upgrade time. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, th- listen, I know we're talking about vSAN, but this is not like old, uh, you know, Windows versions, you know, of, of the 90s where it was like, you know, you, you wouldn't dare upgrade to the, the, the new release of a dot zero release. But, uh, you know, everybody waited till Service Pack 1 back in the uh, Vista days. But uh, hey, man, this is vSAN, vSAN 8 Update 1. Uh, this is going to be beautiful right away. So hit smash that button. Yeah, man. So we're talking about vSAN 8 Update 1. And hey, we cannot have this conversation without our good friend, Mr. Pete Keeler. Pete, welcome back to the Virtually Speaking Podcast, my friend. Uh, Hey there, Pete. Hey, John. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. So, uh, Pete, yeah, today's launch day. You know, it's the big announcement of uh, vSphere 8 Update 1 as well as vSAN 8 Update 1. Uh, And I've been looking through the content that you guys have been creating uh, I know that the the high level areas of this are you know simplified management, uh, you know core platform enhancements, uh, as well as disaggregated storage. But why don't we start with the management? What what has happened in vSAN eight update one as it pertains to management? Yeah, you know, uh, Pete, um, a lot of the features that we've introduced here in vSAN eight update one uh, were actually intended to sort of initially ship with vSAN eight. Uh, but of course, just the you know the various uh, time constraints that we have, we were able to only get so much in at any given time. Uh, so we were really excited to be able to introduce some of these key features that um, simply make vSAN way easier to use, and that's the key uh, to it all. And and I think the the one that really stands out. Um, for me initially here is the new auto uh, policy management feature. And so what this essentially does is is that uh, vSAN will now create a cluster-specific optimized storage policy that is the default policy for that cluster. And it's based off of the conditions of the cluster. So what kind of a cluster is it? Uh, it, uh, How many hosts are in a cluster? And whether or not you have some... uh, capacity um, reserve mechanisms in place known as the host rebuild reserve. Uh, and so then it's going to tailor a specific storage policy for you uh, for that vSAN cluster. And that solves the problem that many of our customers had in, in which they had multiple vSAN clusters of various sizes and intentions and so forth. And they would use the default policy on all of them. And and even worse, maybe they might change that default policy and then it was no longer compatible with some of the other uh, vSAN clusters that they had. So this is a really a good step in the 
in the right direction for just making things easier for our customers so that they can have the data uh, protected at the maximum levels of resilience, but also do it in a very space efficient manner. Well, I, I like that, I, that approach of how do we make the product as much out of the box, the best defaults. Um, if 90% of customers are probably going to end up setting something a specific way, let's, let's find a way that that's fewer clicks, fewer knobs, fewer things to, to misconfigure. Um, as well as this should yield better space capacity savings, better performance, um, looking over how the policies are implemented, frankly, with, with ESA, um, this, this should lead to just, you know, better, better everything. Yeah, you know, and, and we had an interesting challenge with this uh, particular feature because while we wanted to make this process easier, we also wanted to make sure that we weren't uh, changing everyone's storage policies without them even knowing it. Ah, yeah. So we wanted to take a really a special approach on this as we introduced the feature. One is that it's a per cluster setting and it's uh, disabled by uh, default. So uh, if if the customer wants to try this out on one of their clusters, they can simply enable it, you know, at the cluster level. Next up is, is that it's going to um, create this storage policy based off of uh, the conditions of the cluster. But if those conditions change at some point, let's say you add some additional hosts or, or you know, you enable uh, host rebuild reserve or something like that, it's going to simply uh, trigger a health finding alert. Uh, to let you know that it's no longer set at a non-optimal or it's no longer set at an optimal uh, storage policy setting. And then you'll go in and make that adjustment. And we did that really in, for, the, uh, for the purpose of making sure that uh, there weren't global mass storage policy changes and uh, something that I know, you know uh, many of our customers would be hesitant on in the first place. Yeah, that could get real dangerous fast. You know, someone's making certain changes and all of a sudden it's triggering these mass changes. That makes sense. Uh, yeah, I, I like that. I like the idea that, and, and I, I don't know the exact number, but I would imagine a lot of, uh, especially in the smaller range, a lot of a lot of uh, organizations probably just accept the default. But I like the idea. I like the idea that there's a little bit more intelligence into what the default should be. Uh, and so you said this is not enabled by default. Uh, That's correct. Yeah. And so once somebody enables it, though, does it then immediately uh, make the changes or does it uh, does it trigger warnings at that point? Yeah. At, at the time that it's enabled, um, it will create that storage policy on the vCenter server instance that is that is managing, uh, you know, that given vCenter cluster. Uh, and then it will change the uh, default data store setting. So it's going to use that optimal uh storage policy so that then all subsequent uh, VMs that are created will use that uh, default storage policy if there's no other storage policy used. Uh, this helps solve a couple of problems. One is that we don't need to uh, adjust any settings with the otherwise a default storage policy, that one that was created just as a generic one for yeah. all of your vSAN clusters. Uh, and then it, it sort of introduces the, this really non-invasive way for them uh, to introduce this feature. And, and that's really our goal on this. Uh, I would expect some, you know, some upcoming uh, progress or, uh, um, you know, looks at how this feature is going to evolve uh, because we're really focused on saying now that we have some of the capabilities that we have. 
within vSAN. We want to make it easier. Um, one additional point, by the way, this feature is only available on the Express storage architecture. Ah. So we just want to be clear on that. I should have mentioned that right up front, but uh, uh, it's, it's certainly worth noting there. Well, this also makes my job much easier as the maintainer of the vSAN design guide because for, you know, I have like this huge section devoted to discussing the impacts of various raids and things and what to set. And for ESA, I can just say, turn on turn on the, the default policy and, and, and do what it tells you to do. And my life gets a lot simpler. So um, hooray, simplified <laughs> documentation through simplified uh, settings. I like it. I like it. Awesome. So let's talk some more. What, what else is what else is uh, new in the area of uh, simplified management? Yeah. So the next one uh, that uh, is really a neat feature and applies to both the original storage architecture and the express storage architecture is the new Skyline Health uh, dashboard. And this is sort of a, a revamp of our approach to helping a customer understand what's the state of their cluster. And if it is not in a good state, uh, how should you pr proceed with remediating it? And this is a fundamental challenge of all types of systems that monitor things with built-in health checks, but um, don't have a way to prioritize which health checks are more important than others. And so we, we took a step back with our health engine that we have and, and sort of made some adjustments and, and built a new uh, user experience for the customer so that it really mimics that of a very seasoned vSAN administrator. How they would approach, uh, you know, the troubleshooting or the monitoring of an environment. We know, for example, that uh, when a customer has an issue with uh, data availability, that is by far the most important matter that they have sure. to deal with. It's, you know, they may be concerned with uh, storage performance at some point, but none of that matters if the data isn't available. So we wanted to figure out a way that we could uh, proportionally weight and categorize these various health checks that are run in vSAN Health. And, and then ultimately uh, push those really important health checks up to the very top, the, you know, the top priority so that a vSAN administrator knows what they should fix first and what's going to have the most impact if they fix it. So that's one of the areas that, that we addressed in this new um, user experience uh, right within the vCenter server UI. The other part is they want to be able to understand what's the current health condition of that cluster in a really simple way. So in the past, you know, we used to have a long list of health checks and each version we had more health checks and that's great and everything. But looking at the health of the cluster based off of how many, um, you know, red health checks you have or green health checks you have can sometimes be really misleading because some of the health checks may be relatively uh, not important sure, sure. versus other ones, which you just may have a few that may be really, really important. So we've, we've taken this weighting mechanism that we've introduced in the health engine and we apply it uh, to the single health score that is given uh, per vSAN cluster. And we, so it ranges between zero and 100. 100 is a uh, perfect cluster as seen by the uh, Skyline Health engine. Uh, and then if there are any issues, 
those uh, triggered health checks are uh, deducted off of that score. And so the ones that are really important are going to lower that score much more dramatically than the ones that are, you know, relatively not important. So it's a great step in the right direction to just uh, try to figure out a way that a vSAN administrator can um, uh, prioritize these matters while also getting a quick at-a-glance uh, understanding of the state of their cluster. The only problem I see with this is that like every vSAN administrator is basically going to go to work every day and be like, how can I get my score perfect and constantly be focused on this score? <laughs> yeah, trying to find ways to improve their score like it's a game. Yeah, no, <laughs> I think you're right. And, you know, one sort of little side note on that. If they silence the uh, the health alerts, it's That's not going to change the score. So, ah. so, <laughs> so ah. there's no way to get around it. If they, if they want that perfect score, it's not going to happen. But I love it. Uh, the, the, uh, the interesting aspect about this, uh, too, is the weighting mechanisms that have been used on these health checks have been uh, tuned in such a way uh, to where, like, let's say if there is... Uh, an issue with uh, data availability. That's always going to push that number down into the range of, hey, your attention is required on this. You need to get after this. And that's really important on this because, you know, if it was simply just, um, you know, an arbitrary value, they still wouldn't know what the difference between one value is and another value is. But we give them these general categories on, uh, no, everything's running uh, pretty well. Uh, you know, attention may be suggested or attention is required. And it's that it's that last one that's the really important one. Well, and th this is something that I that I like some of these scores and weights have been added because, um, I mean, those of us who live and breathe infrastructure, we may just intuitively, you know, assume, oh, yeah, if that then that's bad or eh, that's that's OK. Yeah, you can deal around with that. But I mean, like one example that is kind of counterintuitive if you're not a networking expert if you have 10% packet loss, the naive assumption is that you have 10% performance loss. Um, if you've spent any time learning how TCP works and windowing, you will know that 10% packet loss is like 80% performance degradation. It's you, you probably just want the link to go down at that point, you know, just rip the cable out or something. But this is the kind of thing that these things are not intuitive. The operators of these clusters uh, they don't necessarily have 20 years of operational experience across every corner of the IO path. And anything we can do to make their lives easier and help them elevate that as well as, okay, you know, maybe there's something that it's a yellow or it's, you know, you need to, you need to patch your firmware. You're one release behind. That's not an immediate score of red, you know, 20 out of a hundred here. It's something that needs to be on your to-do list, but it doesn't need to be on your to-do. You don't need to open an emergency, you know, Call call to your your uh, your cab, your change activity board, or anything over that. Yeah, John, that's exactly the problem that we're uh, trying to solve here. And and uh, you know, I've I, uh, prior to the announcement, I've certainly been working with this release a lot in some nested labs. Uh, and it's the the great news is that it's actually working as it should. Also, nested labs have awful scores because the performance <laughs> is always terrible in nested. I love it. So Fair it's enough. great to, in that it's actually uh, doing exactly what it's really advertised, and and it's a, it's really fun to see in in that respect. And and uh, I think it's going to be have really have a material impact uh, for many of our customers. And again, this runs on both the original storage architecture and the express storage architecture as well. Very nice. Yeah. So another one is the improvements in uh, the performance analysis. Can we talk about that? 
Yeah, so um, historically, we have always monitored performance within vSAN using a five-minute sampling interval, <clears throat> meaning that we would uh, collect all of the metrics within a given five-minute period, and we would average that out over that uh, period, and that would be the representation of, let's say, the uh, the number of IOs uh, per second that would occur. So, you know, 50 IOPS or 100 IOPS or whatever it meant. That was generally good for cases where you're looking at larger time windows, for example, uh, 12 hours or 18 hours or uh, 24 hours. But when you're trying to look at uh, some of the, you know, the behaviors and some of the performance anomalies that may occur uh, within a cluster uh, or within a given VM, uh, sometimes you need a, a higher resolution of those metrics. And so in vSAN 8 Update 1, uh, we've introduced the ability to support a 30-second sampling interval, meaning that you're able to capture uh, this, these metrics that are in a much more representative way of what the actual system is behaving. Now, both are just as accurate as each other, and that, that it sounds very uh, counterintuitive because you think, well, wait a minute, no, this one isn't very accurate. It's as accurate as it is being asked of it. Sure. But what this can do is it gives you much more insight in saying, I saw this weird anomaly where we had this latency spike in this VM and it was occurring uh, just for less than a minute, but we can capture that now. And so this is, uh, you know, again, available both for the express storage architecture and the original storage architecture. All the customer needs to do is simply upgrade uh, the software uh, and they'll see these new real-time metrics uh, sort of embedded throughout uh, the uh, performance service. Now, one thing uh, to note that it's not available for is, is that uh, if you're just looking at a specific VM uh, at that level, we don't offer that level of uh, granularity simply because um, imagine for a moment, moment if you had a thousand VMs that you were hosting, that's a massive amount of uh, data that you're collecting. So we do uh, have that higher sampling rate uh, at the host level and at the cluster level as well. Okay, that makes that makes a lot more sense. And this is something that's uh, just enabled by default once you upgrade, or is this something that you have to configure? Yeah, nothing needs to be configured, and it and it works exactly as advertised and right out of the box. And uh, it's also available via API as well. So if you have um, other applications um, that are interfacing with it, you'll certainly be able to see those very same metrics. Um, it's, you know, sort of, once again, referencing that lab environment, it's, it's worked exactly the way that it should. And uh, man, it's a long time in coming, but uh, it, it's a really important one. And, and I know I was certainly happy to see it. It's, Stack collection is this real fun thing where I, I can tell you, Pete has been asked a million times, well, I'm looking at this VM and the vCenter performance service and vROPS and this other third-party monitoring or ESX top, and they're all showing me different things. Which one's right? And Pete's like, yes, correct. Um, because depending on when you sampled, I mean, you, you got your sampling interval, the way to think about it is imagine I've got a radar gun and I'm out here on Interstate I-10 here, which of course has 26 lanes outside my house. Um, and I shoot one car every five minutes and I, I, I'm basically trying to figure out what the speed of traffic is off of that. And you know, it generally over long trends that a low sampling rate works, um, but higher fidelity is more accurate. 
And I, I will tell you, um, it's not really a well-kept secret in the storage industry uh, that there are many monitoring systems that lie, that take the one out of a thousand outliers and throw them away, that do internal averaging. Um, you know, if you see the real, there's a lot of storage issues that are known as microbursts, things that happen for very short periods of time. They're very hard to capture, but they may have impacts, they may not. But if you see one outlier, whenever you increase the frequency, don't freak out. That doesn't mean something just, it's 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 probably behaving the same way it is before, you just weren't necessarily aware of it. Um, and what I do like about this specific system, um, as well as the, the network diagnostic mode that came before it, is it doesn't increase the performance impact of the system. There's a weird paradox of monitoring. Um, in fact, let's call it the Nicholson paradox. I don't think anyone's <laughs> locked this one down. The Nicholson, uh, uh, Pete paradox here of the harder, the, the more aggressive you try to monitor something, the more likely that you'll generate resource load from the monitoring itself. And you know, hi, I'm the problem. Um, it's me becomes your monitoring system. So anyways, that's, that's my rant on performance, but yeah. I like it. No, like John, it. that's a good rant. Yeah. That's, that's exactly a good way. I'll allow yeah. it. <laughs> so on a similar vein, you know, in terms of capturing diagnostics, uh, I know there's some updates to VMIO trip analyzer. Yeah. So, you know, we introduced this, this tool a few releases ago and it was really geared toward helping the, the customer be able to diagnose uh, for a given VM or a set of VMs, where at within the storage stack may there be an issue that is creating some of the you know latency issues that they may be having. I, and it uh, painted a nice visual uh, picture for you within the user interface and, and it uh, gave you the supporting metrics and, and that was all great. And so it was really geared for these these workloads that you know you're you're having a sporadic issue on, but it's sort of a repeated issue, and you want to see what's going on during that time. Well, the one problem with that was is that sometimes those issues uh, come up at you know 1:30 in the morning when you're running backups and your SQL Server has a blip, but you don't know what was occurring at that time, and you certainly don't want to stay up and wait for it. So we've introduced a new scheduling mechanism within the VM IO uh, trip analyzer that will allow you to uh, schedule these activities and just be able to collect that data so that you can look at it uh, at a later time. And it, it really makes a lot of sense um, for what kind of capturing that you're doing in the first place. It, it, this thing is cool though. It's, it's fun in that, um, you know, not everyone understands the IO path inherently in their head. And like, you know, when you close your eyes, you start seeing the SCSI packet travel or the NVMe packet traveling from the drive through the host scheduler, out the NIC, through the fabric, lovingly bouncing through a buffer credit uh, somewhere in a fabric switch into the other NIC and, you know, all the way to the virtual machine. And, you know, if, if you lack that, you know, that self-visualization, um, here you go. You just use this, and it'll it'll show you where the where the bottleneck is and where all the where all the packet went flying through. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, once a year, John and I we try to do a top two top ten admin tools um, for VMware administrators, and a lot of times, you know, RV Tools obviously wins a lot, but um, it, it it's it always brings up the conversation of one of the most powerful tools for VMware administrators uh, is uh, PowerCLI. Uh, and I know that there have been some enhancements to PowerCLI for vSAN in this update. So can you share those with us? Yeah, sure. Uh, so th there's a few uh, 
sort of feature enhancements, new uh, commandlets for some new features that we haven't brought up uh, quite yet. So I'll sort of hold off on those. Uh, the one that I think is maybe the most important is the ability to now support our full uh, cluster shutdown workflows via uh, Power CLI. We introduced the uh, cluster shutdown workflows, I think a couple of versions ago, uh, and that just enables you know a customer to be able to shut down an entire vSAN cluster in an orderly and a predictable way, uh, the way that we recommend. Uh, the challenge though was that for many of our customers and, and especially on the you know, smaller side, uh, if they have these on-battery events where uh, the power is lost, they're, they're running on their UPS, but they don't have a secondary failover for, um, you know, some in, uh, uh, for some uh, sustaining power. So they're on a, really on a clock at that point. So we wanted to provide a programmatic way for them to shut that down that cluster in a graceful way and in a quick way. And this is exactly what that offers. And uh, this has been asked by many of our customers uh, really from the moment that we created the uh, cluster shutdown workflow. And it's nice to see that this is being shipped within a Power CLI version 13.1. There's another uh, Power CLI com uh, commandlet that we've introduced uh, within this version of vSAN, and that's for um, a user to be able to update uh, the object formats of uh, the vSAN objects. This is something that occurs occasionally on vSAN upgrades. Um, this is not the disk format uh, upgrade step, but rather an object format upgrade. Uh, think of that as just sort of in a rearrangement of the shards of data that make up an object. Uh, and so in this release, we've introduced some new uh, commandlets that will allow uh, customers to be able to make those changes uh, programmatically so they can sort of maybe even roll through their various uh, clusters and address this uh, this issue at scale. Most of the time, when we see these these uh, powers CLI uh, commandlets, it's not so much that they're uh, trying to speed up the process, it's really that they're just trying to make the procedures for it really consistent. And this is something that they can know, just like the cluster shutdown feature, like this feature and, and, and some of the others, it's really about providing this level of consistency and repeatability. So Pete, one of the the things that uh, comes up sort of interesting though, when we're uh, talking about uh, power CLI, and you know some of the the operationalization aspects that come from that uh, are some additional features that we've introduced from a, a diagnostic standpoint. Um, and this in in this particular release for both the express storage architecture and the original storage architecture, we have uh, provided a brand new mechanism in which we can store uh, the trace file for the respective vSAN hosts. Um, this was always a challenge for us because uh, this, this storage of the trace files, which is sort of keeps um, a lot of the critical information about a host, what's occurring on a host at the time of a, you know, of a given issue, let's say as a, a, like a host a crash of some sort. Yeah. Well, with vSAN, we always had this problem though, is, is that we needed a persistent storage for that that was kind of living outside of uh, the vSAN cluster. Well, now we have a brand new mechanism that allows us to be able to capture this uh, data and ship it to this uh, trace files object now that lives on the vSAN uh, data store. So now uh, our customer support uh, personnel can be able to 
will be able to uh, see these uh, really important uh, trace files knowing that they're not going to be overwritten um, for you know repeatedly be able to capture these issues uh, and so that they can find out the root cause of, of what may have been occurring in an environment. That's nice. Yeah. They're not going to be overwritten. They're just pushed out like any other log and they're accessible there for support to go in and uh, troubleshoot a lot faster. I like that. Very nice. Well, and this is something that we used to have some issues with the size of these on boot on small boot devices. And you had like at one point we had to manually back in the 60s I had to manually adjust partitions. It's nice to see these land where they probably belong, um, which is going to be on the, the fastest, largest devices in the cluster. Very nice. Very nice. All right, Pete, we don't have you for too long. I want to jump, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll share a link below to all of the detailed information uh, where you can read about on this blog. But I do want to jump to the next section, which is uh, core platform enhancements. So uh, mm -hmm. what's new there? Yeah, so uh, maybe the most significant of all features here on kind of the core platform enhancements is uh, focused on uh, some improvements that we've made around the express storage architecture, the ESA, uh, in that now we have this what's referred to as an, as an adaptive write path. Um, and we are now introducing a second way in which we can write the data. And you might be thinking, well, why on earth is a second way in which we write the data even necessary in the first place? And the answer is, is that VMs themselves write the data in a variety of different ways. Um, and they may use really small IO sizes or they may use really large IO sizes. Sometimes one IO uh, can be uh, 256 times that of another IO. Well, that means that as a result of that, we need to be able to accommodate for that. And this is exactly what we've introduced here. In this sort of adaptive write path, we will look at the sizes uh, of those incoming IOs uh, and the number of incoming IOs. And if we detect a condition in which there are these larger IOs, we are going to use this brand new uh, write path that allows us to sort of bypass some aspects of our new log structured file system within the ESA and just write the metadata uh, to that log structured file system while we uh, commit the data payload as a full, uh, as a fully aligned full stripe write. That's going to um, save a lot of effort on the system, meaning that when you have these really write intensive workloads, we can write the data faster uh, with less effort, less network uh, transmission, so we've we've reduced the amount of uh, burden across the network as well, and it's really going to be uh, um, uh, beneficial for a wide variety of workloads, just not the classic sort of streaming write arrangements. You're 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 going to have a general purpose workloads that will be able to benefit from this. Well, and this is something that you know is been around for a while. Is that some of the hardest iota process on any storage system are your large block writes. Um, and I'm talking like, you know, not going when I say large block, I don't mean, oh, instead of four, I'm talking 16 kilobytes. I'm talking hundreds of kilobytes or megabyte sized writes. And when you get to this larger stuff, um, systems that are designed to optimize small writes um, can actually be kind of counterintuitive in their impact or, or cause problem beyond. I won't say problematic, but they're they're just you have systems that are designed for aggregating and compacting and optimizing and coalescing using all my my storage verbs here, <laughs> um, you know, that are designed for doing all these things, the little rights. And when you get a large block that comes in and is like, hi, 
I'm, I'm 200 times bigger than any, than what you were really optimized for. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's better to just be able to like, Nope, you go over there. There's your queue. Just bypass all of these fun things. We don't need to do some of these acts. Some we do, you know, still compress it or whatever, but, um, some ways to kind of either write through or, or cache bypass or log bypass or whatever that term is. This is, uh, definitely the, the optimal way for those workloads. And so if you think about large ETLs, you think about video surveillance systems, um, you think about uh, certain database log formats. These are all cases to where, or backup operations. These are all operations where you can end up with it, the guest OS packing really large writes together for you. And since they've already packed them, um, you might as well just do the nice thing and deliver it as quickly as possible through. Yeah, that's exactly the case, John. And in, in a lot of ways, too, this helps align with a lot of the initial efforts that we had with the express storage architecture. Since it was sort of a new design or, or um, a revamped uh, design, we, we really needed to pay attention to how we wrote the data uh, to the actual storage devices themselves. Those storage devices really demand a certain size uh, of an I.O. in order uh, to be most efficient. Um, they oftentimes modern flash uh, devices don't like really small I.O. And once again, that's kind of that uh, counterintuitive uh, matter. And so we built the ESA uh, knowing that and really have catered toward how when we actually write the data uh, to those storage devices, they are in sort of a fixed block size um, so that we can write them in the very uh, in the most efficient way. So it's everything above it that we do that helps uh, manage this incoming data in such a way uh, to where we can write that in the most efficient way so that you can uh, prolong the endurance of those storage devices. Very nice. All right. Well, moving right along, I know that there's a lot of updates in performance. One of those is around the, uh, the improved performance for discrete workloads. Yeah. Yeah. This one is, is really, it's the best way to think of it is, is like you're running a single workload and you want to see, you know, more IOPS, more throughput. This is the feature that really is able to uh, provide that. Um, you know, when you think about storage in general, you know, it's, it's, it's not about just saying, okay, we're going to have faster CPUs on here and it's just going to make everything faster. Yeah. We need to make sure that the software is written for that. And writing data introduces some challenges when you're just saying, I want to create as much uh, parallelism as possible. There's something known as right ordering. You want to make sure that things are uh, coming in in the way that they're expected. Uh, and so we need to to make sure that once now we have this really efficient free breathing storage stack, um, are there processes that we can do to really improve that, um, you know, the delivery of those, those IOs. And that's exactly what we've uh, done here in certain um, areas of the storage stack. We've, we've introduced some helper threads that, that um, sort of increase that uh, parallelism of processing the IO. And, and really the beneficiary of this is these, you know, more workload intensive um, VMs, these applications that are driving uh, larger amounts of I.O. And it doesn't necessarily have to be like, let's say, these large block writes or anything like that. This is going to benefit mixed reads, writes, various I.O. sizes and all uh, workload uh, conditions. So um, something that, that uh, our customers should be able to uh, see immediate benefit from. A little bit of inside baseball with every release, there's inevitably someone who tries to come to us and say, well, can you tell us which application is going to benefit the best from this <laughs> performance improvement? 
Um, and occasionally if it really, like, really is a weird corner case of like, well, IOs between this size and this size and only writes uh, while the CPU is low. Okay. Yeah. Maybe that is Kafka or something, but like the reality is in, in because of the goodness of ESA and the log structure file system and these new capabilities, and there's, you know, a bit of refactor on some core elements. Um, a lot of these are just hot, like rather large performance improvements that are coming out of vSAN that are generally applicable to a lot of different workloads. And as you know, someone who puts on my storage analyst hat, sometimes I get skeptical when people say, well, you know, this is going to improve everything 30% or everything this, like if it's anything more than a large increment, you start getting skeptical and you're like, okay, they fixed a bug. What was, yeah. what was wrong? But this ESA and the hardware and all the capabilities that are being unleashed here, um this is not just oh they they fixed a corner case bug and it'll help this one workload this stuff is broadly applicable so Absolutely. uh yeah go deploy it yeah for sure so uh one of those things that has evolved over all the versions of vsan has been just maintenance mode in general right like putting a host into maintenance mode that's not on a hci or vsan cluster is is easy right but when there's storage involved it becomes a little bit more complex and there's certainly a lot of things to consider and and over the over the generations of, uh, or the the versions of vSAN, it's just gotten better and better. I hear there's new enhancements to uh, maintenance mode for vSAN. Yeah, with uh, vSAN 8 update one, and specifically for the express storage architecture, we've sort of introduced support of what we've referred to as a durability components. And this is sort of helps us ensure that we are writing the most up-to-date uh, data in a resilient way when there is a host that has been entered in uh, to maintenance mode. And this is just really to help protect those cases in which you uh, have an object that has been affected by this one host that has been entered into maintenance mode, uh, and there's some sort of subsequent failure uh, that occurs as a result. We know that we're writing that very, that most up-to-date up uh, information in multiple locations. So um, with vSAN 8 Update 1 and the Express Storage Architecture, we've introduced support for the uh, durability components, um, just as we have had that support within the original storage architecture. Now, there's a few uh, caveats on this one, though, worth noting. One is right now it's only supported when you're using RAID 5 or RAID 6 erasure coding. So um, this this the impact of, of uh, durability components, uh, it's simply not there if you're using RAID 1 mirroring. But frankly, within the ESA, uh, other than a, a, a stretch cluster or a two-node cluster, there's really no need <laughs> to uh, have that in the first place. Um, so the, and then the other caveat, of course, this is only applies to a planned maintenance events like a maintenance mode. Um, it's, it won't create the durability component in sort of a unplanned arrangement where there's an initially some sort of a host outage of some sort. But it's a great way to improve sort of that uh, durability of um, the environment during those maintenance uh, conditions. And that's why we call it a durability component. I like it. Awesome. All right. So moving along, I know we're running out of time, Pete. Uh, better handling of infrastructure-related files on the vSAN data store. Yeah. You know, uh, so uh, this it really has been a reflection of um, our customers who have adopted vSAN and they say, okay, I'm here's my brand new vSAN cluster. I want to store some ISOs, maybe some uh, content libraries on their vSAN uh, data store, just like they would on their, you know, friendly storage array. 
but they ran into a bit of a problem. They would, they would store these ISOs and they would run out of room uh, on there. And that was really a reflection of a limitation that we had in which uh, when a uh, user would create a directory out on a vSAN uh, data store for the purpose of storing these things, um, that it would be saved as, a, as an object, as a namespace object. And that had a, a fixed limit of 255 uh, gigabytes and and you know that was fine for a few ISOs but if you had a large repository that ran into a bit of a problem so we've made some adjustments on here and so now uh, customers can uh, increase the size of those namespace objects to uh, accommodate these cases uh, and not only is this a nice feature for our users but it's a nice feature for us VMware as well oh, yeah. we've been able to take advantage of this very same capability in being able to capture those uh, high-resolution uh, performance metrics that we just referred to, to be able to capture the trace log files that we were referring to. You know, things like this. This is really um, something that that is really beneficial for the product uh, itself. Uh, now, right now, it's um, it, it can only be increased via uh, Power CLI uh, or API. Um, but uh, once again, we have a new uh, commandlet for that as well within uh, Power CLI 13.1. Very nice. All right, moving on. Uh, what's new as it pertains to disaggregated storage? Yeah, so, you know, <laughs> when we introduced vSAN 8 and the ESA, it was this really revolutionary thing. And yep. sometimes the first thing that would be asked, they were like, so does it support HCI mesh? And we, <laughs> well, no, not, not quite yet. Not quite yet. And that was one of the, you know, one of the challenges when you're introducing something so Always. significant like that. So uh, we understood the importance of that and, and uh, just need a little bit of uh, time to sort of introduce support there. And that's exactly what we've done with vSAN 8 Update 1, where we have introduced a full support of vSAN um, or of uh, HCI mesh running in the express storage architecture. So you can have an, uh, a server cluster that is running the ESA uh, and you can have a um, vSAN uh, cluster that is the client uh, cluster. Uh, and that can uh, connect to the or mount the uh, data store of that server cluster and be able to uh, provide all the goodness that ESA can. Um, one interesting little note as well is, is that uh, you can have a uh, client cluster that is uh, just a vSphere cluster, just as you would in the original storage architecture, uh, connect up there as well. So it, it, it offers a lot of flexibility and we're, I think we're all really excited uh, to see where uh, the, these efforts are going. I, I like that little last teaser there. Like, you know, this podcast doesn't discuss uh, futures, but the uh, we're excited to see where things are going. I, you know, I, I will say there is a lot of internal excitement about HCI mesh. If you're thinking that this was something we kind of did as like a one-off for like one or two big clients who had some stranded compute, uh, no, we're we're very much wanting to double and triple and quadruple down on mesh. We think it is it is an awesome. It's opening up some awesome architectures and some use cases. If you have use cases and you're excited about mesh and you want to talk, uh, please reach out to your field teams, talk to PM. They'll have roadmap conversations with you. Uh, it's fun. Um, Speaking of mesh, uh, stretch clusters? Yeah, so that's usually the other question that yeah. we get uh, with regards to HCI 
mesh, which is does it support a stretch cluster arrangement? Uh, in vSAN 8 update 1, it does using the original storage architecture. That's just one of the limitations at this moment. But that means that you can have a, a vSAN cluster acting as that server cluster that's in a stretch cluster arrangement. Uh, and then you can have a client cluster that is either just a standard vSAN cluster or in a stretched arrangement, and you can mount that remote uh, data store from that server vSAN cluster. Uh, this has been asked for, for uh, extensively and over essentially the entire time that HCI Mesh has been available, sure. uh, and we're able to offer that uh, capability in, this, uh, um, in vSAN 8 Update 1. Let me guess, you get that question more when you're in uh, VMware Explorer Europe. Yes, indeed. Yeah, that it's, you know, there's equal levels of, of excitement on both of the products. And so it's, it's, it makes sense that they say, hey, uh, can they work <laughs> at the same time or uh, together? And that's exactly uh, what we're shipping now. And, and usually the second most uh, popular question, though, is, yeah. okay, I want to be able to mount a remote uh, data store that's managed by another vCenter server instance. And that's the part that we've also introduced a feature uh, on within vSAN 8 Update 1 is the support of uh, being able to mount a remote vSAN data store across vCenter server instances, meaning that you can have a client a cluster, uh, whether it's just a vSphere cluster or a vSAN cluster, um, mount the remote uh, data store by another vSAN cluster managed by another vCenter server instance. So this is, uh, offers a lot of flexibility for our uh, customers, in particular those that um, may not necessarily want to run multiple vCenter server instances, but because they have to. Uh, we, you know, yes, we have a, lar a lot of large customers and they want to do that, but there's some environments that because of the conditions, they simply have to run multiple vCenter servers. And this just offers and extends that functionality for uh, those environments. I mean, I, I just like the idea of cross SSO storage being a thing. It also goes with cross SSO migration capabilities and other things. Um, this is something that, um, you know, vCenter used to be something that you licensed individually as we moved to vCenter Plus. Um, it's just a built-in entitlement. Um, I don't want to encourage vCenter sprawl, but operationally we understand why people have to do that. So we need to make, you know, as vMotion's already gone there, now we have to make storage do the same. Absolutely. Well, man, Pete, it is top of the hour. I'm trying to get you out of here right on time, but I do appreciate you joining uh, and sharing all this information about vSAN 8 Update 1. Uh, for those interested, the place to go, link below, is always core.vmware.com. There's plenty of uh, FAQs, uh, d blogs, uh, all kinds of updated information. Link below. And uh, yeah, that's it. Pete, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, we look forward to hearing you on the next update. Yeah, thanks for having me, Pete. Thanks, John.